vis antnima misvis in razda hatimrin, gavordi bigas kapanos razdos, jahmannans thais kapiant ios. Welcome to Conlanger, the podcast about constructed languages and the people who create them. I'm George Corley, and with me down the road a ways is William Annis. Hello. And over in Maine, we have Mike Lentini. Howdy. All right. Uh, I have been, I have, I think I have introduced William for the 88th time. Wow. Says <laughs> so this is episode 89. No, it's actually, it can't be. It would be less than that. It would be less than that. Because there were several episodes in between that you were not on. That's still a but, lot of episodes in which you've introduced me. Yes, there, 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 there are a lot of episodes. There are a lot of episodes in which I have said exactly the same thing at the top of the show. So. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's funny that that how that works out. You just you just have a pattern in these shows, and you start a certain way and end a certain way. Uh, so, but. All random uh, self-analysis aside, we do have a topic for today, and let's just jump right into that, because it's a big one, and we are going to talk about polysynthesis, or polysynthetic languages, and so... um, Not just an alternative lifestyle. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's a different word. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Yes. Okay. So lifestyle for plants? Okay, anyway, sorry. <clears throat> oh. Hmm? Never mind. Polysynthesis for plants? Oh. In my okay. like brain. <laughs> Get it? I was uh, I was I went I went in a totally different direction. I don't know why. So uh why don't you uh William start off with what exactly polysynthesis is? That's a really funny thing for you to start with because no one's quite sure what exactly polysynthesis is. Yes. It's lovely. You just um the word has existed since the late 1800s, if I understand the history correctly. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it was designed or picked or created to, not surprisingly, describe the languages of North America. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the term is kind of a bit fuzzy. Mm-hmm. But it, one reasonable definition is a highly synthetic language. Um, <clears throat> another one is when you have a high morpheme to word ratio. But the problem for both of these definitions is what counts as high. Yeah, it's compared to what I think. Right, I think it's like a lot of things in typology in that it's something that exists on a continuum. Right. So it, exactly where you draw the line that where a very highly synthetic language becomes polysynthetic might be sort of a uh, something you could argue about. Yep. There are various sort of things that seem to go along with a language being so, uh, polysynthetic. Um, noun incorporation, <coughs> excuse mm-hmm. me, is one suggested important feature. Um, many are non-configurational to some degree. Um, they tend to be head marking rather than dependent marking. Mm. Um, and... Your, uh, any language may be highly polysynthetic in one area, but very little in other. The classic example is languages that have very complex verb systems, but very simple noun systems. 
Um, the the two okay. big N languages from the southwest of North American continent and Mesoamerica, namely Nahuatl and Navajo, are both in this way. They have stupendously complicated verbs, and nouns get hardly any marking at all. And that makes sense, really, for any any time you're talking about sort of morphological typology. Different word classes can oper- can can be at different points of the scale. Right. It's not a uh, huge uh, surprise that that kind of thing occurs. When you say that oh, for the nouns and verbs, do you mean for um, derivationally or also in terms of you know grammar um, out of the verbs? Or... I mean everything. Mm-hmm. Oh. Um, in general, the languages that get described as polysynthetic, the affix, it's, it's, it's harder to make a firm distinction between uh, grammar versus meaning derivation. They tend to get all jumbled together. Mm. Yeah. Right. So uh, one language we're going to talk about the Eskimo Aleut family. Various languages of that are stupendously. Um, I think I think we can say with great confidence that whatever is going on, those languages count as hot pilot synthetic. Um, you know, things like definiteness marking for one of the arguments will be mixed in along with like modal verbs, all in one big pileup. Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting how. Like, literally, you have we we have a uh, dictionary for one of these languages that we'll get to in a bit, and literally, you see all these examples where an entire sentence is being encoded in one word, or a a whole complex predicate is in one word. Yep. So it's it's really mind-boggling. I think that may be why people think noun incorporation might be one very important piece of it because mm. that that is one of those things that will that will get you crazy derivation in um, that sense. Maybe. Maybe. In I think, some, I think if you, could, if you, you have a lot of languages it. that were noun incorporating that aren't necessarily highly synthetic, polysynthetic. Right. But I mean it's I'm thinking in a necessary but not sufficient kind okay. of way. Right. Yeah. Um, although, again, people aren't really sure about this, and we're not necessarily experts in the topic. But. Right. There's a, a, a fellow who wrote an entire book um, trying to incorporate polysynthetic languages into the generative scheme called the polysynthesis parameter, and he's got a big long list of things. Oh, um, which are couched in the language of generative syntax, so I don't understand all of the points. So wait, mm. oh wow, yeah. that 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 has to be a job. Although that's that's um, it doesn't surprise me that someone is doing that because, from what I understand, the generative idea is that all morphology is just syntax. Which oh good, <laughs> or at least that's that's one uh, view in it. <laughs> Which I'm, uh, I'm not touching that with a ten foot pole. Yeah, let's not let's let's not Moving get into on. that. Let's not get into that. <laughs> um, whatever uh, your definition <clears throat> is of polysynthetic languages, most of the most of the ones people recognize as being so are not evenly distributed across the globe. They're most common in North and South America, Papua New Guinea, Australia, and Siberia. They do not, for the most part, pop up in say Africa, or they're much less common there. Although so mm-hmm. one could make an argument that Coptic is polysynthetic to a certain degree. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It even has noun incorporation. To, uh, <laughs> of a sort. Interesting. 
And you say they tend to be head marking. Yep. Uh, any other sort of bits? Um, I think for people who don't have experience with these sorts of languages or who have not been conlonging for a super long time, there are a few things that will really stick out about these languages. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they tend to have lots and lots and lots of bound affixes doing things you might find surprising. For example, mm-hmm. things we think of as ad- adverbs um, often get encoded into a part of a big giant verb pileup. Things mm-hmm. that encode moca- uh, motion, location, degree, <coughs> excuse me, modal verbs, all sorts of things. And we can look at some examples of that in a bit. Um, just as an aside, an interesting number of languages in North America have affixes that mark things moving into um, or being in fire or water. Oh, interesting. I mean, that's useful, right? Cooking and fishing and cleaning and all that. Now, these mm-hmm. axes that can be just added to, like, um, derivationally, like, to, to fly into water versus to, or they set, like, um, to cook. They're, 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 they are what we would call derivational. Okay. They're bound morphemes that used uh, in any circumstance that makes sense. Hmm. Okay. So it just, it just uh, is an affix that, means that and then you can you you have all the additional oddities that that can occur with derivation i presume where where in some cases it forms a word that is not exactly compositional in right meaning. yeah yeah you, well yes once yes absolutely you can get sort of idiomatic sorts of senses as well yeah um um so we've been talking about polysynthesis we're using the word synthesis and that will of course make most of us think of Synthetic languages like the Indo-European languages, Latin, Greek, and so on and so forth. So we have, on the one hand, this sort of axis of morphology, isolating, synthetic, agglutinating. We're isolating everything is an independent word. Agglutinating is um, various affixes piled up together, but they're all independent with a fixed, clear meaning. And then a synthetic language where you get various kinds of affixes, but they combine multiple meanings. For example, in... Uh, most Indo-European languages, when you decline your nouns, um, both case, number, and sometimes gender are included in the affix. Right. And it it's can't a, be analyzed. It can't be teased apart anymore. <clears throat> Whereas in a language like Turkish, which is agglutinating, you will get number marking, person marking, case marking. They're all separate. Yeah. Uh, okay. But polysynthesis is not just synthesis gone crazy. You can get a an agglutinating language that still qualifies as polysynthetic just because it has the morpheme to word ratio business going. Yeah, I, right? I, most people I can consider see that. The Eskimo Aleut languages, most, for the most part, are largely agglutinating. Although funny things happen at the word boundaries, for the most part, you can pull things apart. Yeah. Well, sort of reiterating what we said in our episode on agglutination, um, sort of the ideal agglutinating language is you have bunches of derivational morphemes, but it's one meaning per morpheme, and they tend to be very clear where the boundaries are. Yep. And then synthetic is you get several meanings attached to one morpheme. Um, one thing that I kind of want to talk about is uh, if you are creating a language and you intend to make it polysynthetic, you probably do want to make sure that there are sort of ways to determine that something is one word, sort of things like your stress assignment will probably help you with that. That's probably or, you know, 
um, some some phonotactic constraints can help you to define where word boundaries are just so that you know you are making sure that your big long words can't really be sort of analyzed also as just a phrase uh right i'm not sure that's some some ambiguity is okay yeah it's not a huge deal necessarily um, I mean, in, in most of the uh, Eskimo languages, all sorts of phonotactics happen at morphine boundaries that do not happen right. at word boundaries. Mm. Like right. softening and strengthening kind yeah, of thing? Yeah, all sorts of craziness goes on. Assimilations and substitutions and... Yeah. Yeah. It's just it's just something to think about. And it's it doesn't have to be 100% clear because in natural languages, it's not always 100% clear. Sure. So... Um, you know, you, you, it's just, uh, something that you need to keep in mind. Um, so can we get into some examples of different things? Uh, well, can we talk about the affixal versus compositional distinction first? Yes, that, that would be a good thing. So, William, you have one person. If, if you look at the Wikipedia article on polysynthesis, you will find that one scholar makes a distinction between affixal and compositional polysynthesis. And I don't know if this is a real thing necessarily. Again, it's going to be a um, spectrum, but yeah. I still think it's useful to think about this distinction. I because, for for example, I didn't know really much about the ones that she counts as compositional, which seemed really interesting. So. The affixal polysynthetic languages tend to be templitic, like mm-hmm. Navajo verb. That is, you have many, many of these morphemes, and they are all expected to land in particular slots. Right. Right? You know, the direct object morphemes always fall in slot three, and, you know, some transitive marker always falls in slot seven, and the stem always occurs in whatever. You know, that sort of stuff. Navajo um, is a classic example of that. Um, right. And these languages tend to have a huge pile of bound morphemes, and they only get one free morpheme per word. The other side is compositional. And what's most interesting about these is they can have more than one free morpheme per word, especially by way of noun incorporation and Mm -hmm. verb serialization. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's sort of interesting to have more... For me, if you said polysynthesis, I would only think of what this person calls the affixal um, ones. So the idea of having verb serialization within a um, polysynthetic environment is sort of interesting to me. I mean, in mm-hmm. classical Nahuatl, you can get some pi- verb pileups where it's kind of clear what certain common verb elements are. But at this point okay. in the history of the language, by the time we get to it, it's almost derivational anyway. Uh-huh. Um, it might be interesting uh, to see see other things. And then the Wikipedia page lists names from these languages. I was not um, able to really find a lot of information about these languages, which makes me sad because it would be sort of interesting yeah. to see more details about those. So compositional, it really sounds like the compositional versions are doing lots of different types of compounding. Uh, yeah, it we would be, make that argument. Would, I mean, they yeah, still, it would they be still have a heavy dose of these bound morphemes. Okay. It's just that mm. noun incorporation and verb serialization plays a much more significant role. Yeah, verb serialization, I don't know too much about, but I was just reading and it's using 
multiple verbs, like in Chinese, it gave an example of right. like using the two verbs and making that one meaning together. Right. That Chinese is the classic example. Uh, it's very common in a bunch of um, African yeah. languages. Yeah. Chinese, of course, not polysynthetic. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, right. And that was the first time I'd ever seen that. I mean, I'm used to thinking of verb serialization as a thing in, you know, these highly isolating languages or analytic right. languages rather. So, yeah. Well, that just shows that sometimes individual features can sort of these typological categories that we put languages in, they're useful in some senses, but they're not like boxes. Right. So there, you can have features that that can be in that either one and st- still make sense. So very true. Have you guys had experience with that, with these kind of languages? Um, I've never worked with a polysynthetic language myself. I was lucky enough to find a cheap copy of a West Greenlandic grammar at a used bookstore years and years and years ago. Um, and, and that's in the Eskimo Elliot family of languages. So I had lots of, you know, page after page of these <coughs> derivational morphemes that I went bonkers with. And one of my first languages ever published on the web uses these a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Not always um, with as much understanding as one might hope, um, but it was. It's it, so yeah. I have, I've have spent a good deal of time looking at these in the past. Not as much recently. Yeah, for me, unfortunately, I don't really have much experiences, which is why I'm at uh, quite a bit of a disadvantage <laughs> when uh. when talking about this. But yeah, uh, I I know. What I have heard from William about Navajo and other languages that he's mentioned, but that's about all I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, there's an interesting... So w- one of the papers linked to in the um, show notes is called Morphological Orthodoxy in Yap- Yupik Inuit, um, which <clears throat> it's a paper, so it's making an argument, but I don't care about the argument. It just gives lots of really great non-terrifying examples of how little words build up to bigger words um, in this language. So here's one on page 155 of this paper. Oh, this is taken from a larger set of papers, so it's not actually 155 pages long. Um, Example 15 goes from she is smiling, one word. She is suddenly smiling, one word. She suddenly smiled, one word. She suddenly smiled but in vain, one word. Evidently she suddenly smiled but in vain. One word with one, two, three, four, five, six, seven... 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13 syllables. Wow. Wow. Um, but it shows you building up and how the parts get chucked in. Um, so we have a word for water boots. And then she is making water boots. Someone who makes water boots. They have someone who makes water boots. They definitely don't have someone who makes them water boots. <laughs> Which is 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10 syllables. So... Um, but it shows you how these things get pulled, piled up and pulled together, and that's really nice. Um, the other thing we have, which maybe we can spend some time looking at just because it's awesome, um, is the Inupiatun. Uh, we have a dictionary of one of these languages. Um, Inupiatun Eskimo Dictionary. Um, and starting on page 241... They have a separate set of section of the dictionary devoted to these derivational elements, which in this language family they call post bases. Yeah, I highly recommend people actually go 
go take a look at. They have a little introduction into what a quote unquote post base is mm-hmm. before they go into it. And many of these um, words have some examples. Yes, so. sometimes quite a few examples so you get a good idea. And I, the thing I want to draw people's attention to is we have one, just looking at the first page of, of these, you know, the A section, um, you have one affix, which means old, aged, used, or bad. Mm-hmm. Like that old house, um, that one is a usable old boot, that sort of thing. So that's clearly a change in meaning. But then over in the other column, we have one that means although, though, rather, but. Yeah. Um, oh. And then we have one that marks habitual action. And then we have one that indicates that an action is happening quickly. Or you mm-hmm. have one that indicates that you think or assume that something happening. So that I think Putu has eaten is just one, is Putu is one word. And then oh. I think so-and-so has eaten is another one. Yeah, I I think uh, it, it is important to point out, it's not like every sentence in these languages is just one word. Right. Um, there are a lot of big words, and there's certainly a lot of cases where there's a sentence that's all one word, or a sentence that is the subject, and then the predicate is all one word. Right. Um, but, you know, there's, there's also more variety in, <coughs> in terms of... Uh, you can you can have more more words in a sentence than just that. Here's so one it's that, not, with three words that means isn't that quite amazing that you don't know about where he's from? <laughs> That's on page two forty four under the first element under the G section. Um, right, so you have one that means for there to be a lot of something in abundance. So are there going to be many people? Is one of the example sentences. Um, and for these, I guess they have an order that they stick these, and they're not just randomly shaken up and dished out. In this language family, it's not templitic. Things mostly pile up as they make sense, with meaning being compositional, piling on leftward. Hmm. Right. Um, it's, it's and then at the very end, you add what we would normally consider inflectional morphology, like um, subject and object marking. Although this, these languages tend to be ergative, so yeah. So it it's sort of like the words do sort of have like the order i guess is is like part of the derivation in in some of these sort of you, you could have the you could probably have in some cases um a word mean different things because of of you know the order i uh i kind of hesitate to say this but it's sort of like some of these words are sort of like mini sentences or mini phrases that are just glommed together into one word somehow. Well, so, yeah. sure. I mean, the meaning is composition. It's being it's just that the the principles by which they're assembled is different. Right. As far as the um, order goes, I would guess. I would wonder if it's like English, where you can say, you know, the big blue ball. But if you say the, I have to even have to think about it. If you say the blue big ball, that sounds really strange. And it's not like that's an order that we, we as native speakers, may know uh, explicitly, but it just well, tends that we live and do it that way. That is a separate know. thing. That's that's something that people have studied yeah, because there, there, is, there is sort of an order of adjectives in, in English. Yeah, I was wondering I mean, if there was an order like that in languages that have these um, affixes. For, for some elements, but so much of these are about building a meaning – Mm. Yeah. That whatever makes sense, you have to pick the order to correctly 
choose the sense. Um, I had did see a few papers on some of these languages where they exactly asked this question. Mm-hmm. And they often found for some of these things that multiple orders were acceptable to listeners. To native, yeah. to the native informants. The, that's that's interesting. One thing I want to ask about is there's you know obviously affixal elements that do negation. Yes. Does the the scope of the negation involve where it is in the in the word sometimes? Yes. That is interesting. People write papers so. about negation scope in these languages and other kinds of scope, like quantifier scope in these languages can be fun to determine as well because your quantifiers might be part of your verb. <laughs> wow. Oh, we just covered we just covered quantifier scope in 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 semantics. Oh, it's, what a nightmare! It's, it's just nuts. It's just nuts. Yeah, especially with the theory that we're going, we're 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 learning, and I don't know, it gets bonkers. <laughs> Yeah, I would guess. I would guess. <laughs> um, now, a quick question on um, with verb. I guess no noun incorporation. Um, is are there certain nouns that the verb can glom up, or it's just basically the noun gets stuck in the verb, put into a certain place in it, no matter what the noun is? We did do an entire episode on noun incorporation. Yes, I, I remember yes. that. I wasn't sure if that was something that um, with these kind of languages, if they use that and if that counts as part of the polysynthetic area or if that's something totally different entirely because we did mention that right in the show. um that's an interesting question as i said i think there are probably some languages that count as having non-incorporation of various kinds that aren't polysynthetic um you can't actually have a non-incorporating isolating language um which presents yeah. itself in funny word order things um but yeah it's it, <coughs> non-incorporation really from what I understand, it it's just that you have some particular way of in putting a noun into the verb at, it, in in some sort of and it can be derivational in some cases. It can uh, be sort of grammatical in some cases. As as William said, we did do an entire episode on this, and there's a typology of 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 um, of Noun incorporation, yeah, to, to get into, and I would, hierarchy of them, yeah. yeah, yeah. I didn't want to derail this. I was just touching on that yeah. because I know that when you're thinking about doing a language like this, those kind of things might be wanting what you want to take into consideration. I mean, now um, the, the, the Eskimo Inuit family, um, uh, people aren't sure. I keep saying Eskimo Inuit. I for, I should look up what the official name of that family is. Um, People aren't sure if those actually have noun incorporation. They have lots and lots of these post bases that attach to nouns to derive new meanings. Um, yeah, and some of them have verbal meanings, it looks like. Right, yeah, no, there's a, a huge mix. Some of them are verbal meanings, some of them are noun meanings, some, I mean, the various kinds of things, but you have a bunch of these elements that produce verbs after they're smacked onto nouns. Yeah. Like, you have one that means to have a pain in the, like, if I have a headache, <laughs> or <clears throat> to go hunting X, or to build X. Um, okay, that's really but cool. But then do you count the post base as a verb or is it a derivational element or what's going on? So there's a little bit of debate about that. Yeah, it's it, well, it's mm. very, you know. Whereas the language like Nahuatl definitely has what we would consider noun incorporation. You get noun plus verb composed in a particular way to indicate a particular new special behavior that needs its own word. Mm-hmm. And then that resulting blob then can additionally take all of the rest of the verbal system. Um, including additional kind of verb serialization things and 
cislocative and translocative and other kinds of fun. Ooh, okay. <laughs> yeah. So one thing I just, as a fun thing <clears throat> in this dictionary, I want to draw your attention to on page 262 is they have a um, post-base cla, which means to be able, but there are one, two, three, four, five, six sub um, post-bases that are composed of other elements. So you have one that means no longer able, one that means simply cannot or is unable. You have one that means one who is unable to. Mm-hmm. So you can say Putu is the one who is the one who cannot talk. Um, <laughs> you have one that means really unable. Mm-hmm. Um, one that means become able or is able to now. Really unable. Yes. So an intensive? Yes, an intensive. And then the last one, um, somehow, and, and this seems non-compositional, a little bit idiomatic, um, it means to like or enjoy. Huh. One time I was thinking about doing just a prefix for like a helping verb kind of thing, and that seems to be similar to what this is. Right. Um, but this is, of course, bonkers and has all sorts of crazy <laughs> madness encoded with it. Well, I mean, one of these is really obviously a negative um, element, which I recognize from elsewhere in the language. So, I mean, this, some of this is... Um, kind of compositional and some of it's less obviously compositional. But mm-hmm. um, I just wanted to point that out as an interesting, you know, there's a family of derivational elements based on this one post base. Which makes sense. It does make sense, in, but it's in, an interesting yeah. place to start to elaborate meanings and think about how they might interact with other of these things. Yeah, it would it, it would be interesting to see sort of conlangers do that, do a similar sort of thing and yeah. sort of pick out one affix and start Messing with semantic fields and working out different different ways that they can express different things right. from um, that one base. <clears throat> one thing that's interesting about this language in particular and the whole family is that sometimes when commlangers start making these things, they have derivational affixes that all have the same constant vowel patterns. Mm-hmm. It is all over the board. Uh, yeah. They start with vowels, they end with the vowels, they start with constants, they start with constant clusters, they end with constant, end with constant clusters, might be one syllables, might be two, might be three. Um, yeah. <laughs> there are one or two that are simply a single vowel, which I'm surprised don't get just swallowed up, right? There's only yeah. a little ghost of a memory when you get new words as a result of that sort of thing. Yeah, I, that's something I'm sort of guilty of, is that I start making affixes for something, and then I realize that they're all a single CV syllable. Sure. And I'm like, this yeah, is boring. Why am I it's doing It's boring that? and unnatural. Yes. Yeah. And so you look at this and think, I almost think maybe when you are doing these affixes, the affixes probably will be sim- simpler than roots in some respects. Although in this case, no. it looks like they're, they're, they have just the same stuff. Yep. But you should either use your, um, if you're using like awkward, use your general awkward settings or set up awkward settings to generate these actual affixes and stuff. Yeah. I know I've used awkwards to generate affixes with Pahran and I've got a little bit more natural results, although I'm kind of picky about what I pick out of awkward, so it's right. not always yeah. great. <laughs> so here's a, here's a derivational affix on page 259, which I just love. It has two meanings, which are <clears throat> clearly related, but I think it's an interesting um, pairing. It's uh, sungnik, 
and it means, and it's used to derive a noun from another noun, and it means the smell of something or the nature of something. Yeah. We, this, this language is interesting in one idea. Uh, one of the things that's really interesting randomly about this language is the fact that you don't get nasal assimilation for some reason. Yep. So you have this sung, sungnik, nik. Yes. Sung, sungnik. And the example, and the example yeah. is hilariously a word that means the smell of fish. Kaluksunik. Anyway, but I just like that the nature of or character of is an interesting addition to the to that sense. That's that's very interesting stuff. Um, You have in your notes a couple things that I I thought would uh, were good to highlight. You said one sort of simple way to uh, sort of start a polysynthetic language is to start off maybe when you're doing historical derivation, make polypersonal agreement. Yes. As sort of an opening salvo, (coughs) which makes sense because once you have polypersonal agreement, you have that's, um, polypersonal listeners, what polypersonal agreement is. Yes. Sorry. (laughs) Sorry. And that's, it's funny that I just said that when you actually wrote it out, make your verb agree with more than just the subject. That's what, it, polypersonal agreement, you have agreement with at least two arguments of the verb. Right. Of so, a transitive verb, obviously. Yeah, of a transitive verb. So usually subject and object by default. You can add on more than that. But that's a really good point because as soon as you have that, you can start doing pro drop and eventually it's just the uh, subject and object pronouns are just affixes on the verb, and yep. then you get started. <laughs> yep, and there you go. You're on your it's a crazy deep rabbit hole from there. And some languages take a step further, and they might also cross-reference the indirect object or other sorts of case roles like lo- location and, and stuff like that. Yeah, that's it's it's not always just that. Right. Uh, is there anything else we wanted to say about that? I mean, that's a simple way to start. Your best bet is to just start looking at these languages Think about them a while and then, you know, go forward. Um, they tend to be full complete systems. So it's a little bit hard for me to imagine situations where you could sort of incrementally build up. I mean, I suppose you could yeah. do some sketches where you just keep getting adding more and more. I wonder really how much we know about the historical development of these languages because as you said, polysynthesis, the term was developed in order to describe Native American languages. Right. So I would argue that we have one clear historical example of a language evolving into a polysynthetic language. Okay. And that is ancient Egyptian. Ancient Egyptian in its earliest stages and for a long time <coughs> in its history was basically a very moderately synthetic language mm-hmm. in, in, the, in the Afro-Asiatic mold. Over time, it became increasingly polysynthetic. More and more things got glommed into the verb. All sorts of things collapsed and became part of the verb system. Um, until you get huge uh, noun incorporation, verb, multiple arguments, especially causatives are hilarious giant pileups. Um, mm-hmm. And this is all documented. Right. That's, that's probably a good place to start then since right. obviously there's a very long record, written record, that people have been scouring for, 
for uh, I, I just, many, many years. Yeah, I just walked away from my desk to go look at my library. Uh, Loprieno wrote a book on the Egyptian language, and it's a historical overview starting from the earliest phase to the latest. And yeah. you can just read the book and watch it, uh, watch one language turn into a polysynthetic language. So that might be a good place to start if you want to do historical method and you want a language to develop polysynthesis along the way. Yeah. Um, one thing that I have heard heard about is it's not becoming polysynthetic necessarily, but uh, a lot of people say that French is developing or has developed polypersonal, uh, agreement. polypersonal agreement. Colloquial French, yes. Yeah. So that's something you could you could look at just to get an idea of uh, um, at least one process where you could go from single person agreement to polypersonal agreement. Yes. Uh, Mike has found a word that he likes and his. Uh, it looks like Welsh. Yes. Yes, it is. It's actually um, when we were talking about the nouns that kind of gobble up phrases. That's the. Uh, it's the, it's a large village and community on the island of Anglesey in Wales, situated on the Menai Strait. Uh, here, hang on one sec. Here's the wiki link. Okay, I'm not sure that counts as polysynthesis, other than just a giant stupid word. Well, okay, I think we might want to put. Uh, I just don't know to, if that's because um, um, I thought about it because that word it means there is a long there's a meaning for it. It's the St. Mary's Church in the hollow of the White Hazel near the rapid whirlpool of Santicilio on the Third Cave. Yeah, I don't think this counts. I mean, I think so. Okay, there there is sort of a difference, I think, between polysynthesis and big giant compounds. English can get big giant compound words. Yeah, Um, I think polysynthesis uses it across the board, whereas English or Welsh or I think Hawaiian has the humu humu nuku nuku fish, whatever apua a, but that doesn't mean the whole language does that habitually. It's just examples of like one-offs mutants, and it's often things like in English, um, you get gigantic long compounds, but it tends to be like combinations of sort of almost noun phrase type elements that all add up to become a noun. You don't get a word in English that means a sentence. Right. Yeah. Um, So there, there are, I think there is a distinction to be made there. Uh, We can leave it to the actual sort of the to to morphologists, maybe myself in the future to (laughs) work out whether theoretically there's any difference or not. But it does yeah, seem to be a different thing. I just thought it was an interesting because we didn't have too many examples of nouns that had that gobbling effect. Um, well, you get so. the you can get those in plenty of languages where you have an entire verb phrase and gets a nominalizer suffix. Yeah. And presto, wizzo, you've got a gigantic scary noun. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know we were talking about the verb serialization, and there's a lot of examples of verbs being um, having like a set. Um, what's the word? There's a set way that they happen, and there are the different affixes that go onto it. But I didn't know of too many nouns that did that. So these are just uh, some of those nouns that have what English would break up into lots of little words and little phrases, and it just gobbles it up into one long stew of letters. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. It's it's just to me, it looks like the 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 uh, at least this um, this. Um, would we call it an Inuit language? Is it? it it's an Inuit language, yeah. right? That we're looking at. 
the, and you what get it's doing is ones. is different from the kinds of giant long compounds that we get in German. in Germanic languages or other places. In that we make big long nouns like um, high voltage electricity system supervisor is that example from my morphology textbook. Um, but this has whole sentences or predicates and yes, that, that are all one word. And it seems to me that, and it seems that, you know, having, um, the, the, the verbs in the derivation may, it, having verbs in, in that may, um, may, may, uh, be crucial to that. It may not because, you know, verbs are like, Tend to be, but this is a theoretical question. I don't think yeah. conlangers care. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. I true. just wanted to put something in there so that if someone was thinking about maybe making their nouns have be a little more um, beefy, yeah. then they have something going because this is a, the well, in, that, yeah, the, that is the, the Inuit languages have plenty. I mean, it's not like everything in this the post base section only goes on verbs. Lots and lots of these go with nouns. Oh, yeah, yeah. So. Okay, you can have big long nouns in here too. Yep, yep, yep definitely. Okay, the, then. Yeah, but I just want to show that's all. There wasn't anything big and crazy on that except for the word itself. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know. Um, well, that's that's again, like William said, oh, we were we were the trying to find the actual the actual limit here is sort of the theoretical question. We don't really necessarily need to answer that for conlanging. We just need to know what. What variation exists, and that's why we're pointing out, you know, some of these languages that have entire we have we have giant gigantic words that mean things like what uh, prepared a place for seeds to grow, right? You know, um, uh, what was I going to say? Oh, um, while doing some research for this show, I found that there was last year. A really nice and thorough thread on the Zompist bulletin board, mm-hmm. uh, ZBB, about polysynthesis, um, which covers some things in detail, which we don't need to go into here just because we've done other episodes on them, right? We don't need to talk about non-incorporation because we've already done that. Um, but if you don't mind reading stuff, there's a lot of good information there, um, and it's worth your time to go find the person's posts. There's some neat stuff there. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of our featured languages <clears throat> in show 41 um, includes a dictionary, which has, uh, you know, its last section is also a large list of derivational elements. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can get some more ideas there if you want to try your hand at one of these languages. Yes. It's it's good. It's always good to have models to work by. I, I'm, I'm, I feel like something important for conlanging is to work from natural language models because you know theory won't get you there necessarily because theory is trying to break things down and analyze them but looking at an a- actual language data will give you an idea of possibilities that you can try sure okay um why don't we move on to feedback since we've sort slightly derailed a little uh, bit yep <laughs> um so um this is an email from Panglot, uh, a.k.a. Jeremiah. He's a frequent commenter. He's, he mentions that he comments a lot, and I, I've seen his comments fairly often on the site. And uh, he has a long email. Uh, I don't know if we'll talk about everything about it in it 
right now, but what I, a couple things I wanted to highlight is he gave us a few suggestions about um, topics that we could go on, um, things about the um, and uh, uh, things we already sort of are thinking of doing with with shorts episodes or we have done with shorts episodes and then um but the interesting one is he said we she suggested we do a practicum on naming languages what do you think about that um yeah we could do that sounds fun i think i think i don't know if it will be the next topic episode or later down the road but that's one i think we could put on our list because um it's it's a bit of a lighter topic uh, mm-hmm. that we could go over, but uh, I think it would be useful for a lot of people who um, people who are making big con worlds and want to yeah. have some languages that they don't want to work out fully, right. or people who are using con language for flavor and don't want to make a full language at all. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that would be... Um, Useful. I think it is going to be a lot of uh, of saying exactly how far do you want to go mm-hmm. and take it that far. But uh, that's um, that's one good suggestion. And uh, another one for shorts. He suggested I take things from the Conlanger's Thesaurus and point out some of the interesting entries that might be that could generate a few shorts. That that would be good to look at a few of the the little charts and stuff that you have on there uh, in there. That would that would uh, I think that would be useful for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, cool. And uh, he even suggested sort of me doing more of the sort of random things that I pointed at. Did like the the one uh, uh, four character idiom that I mm-hmm. did an episode on. Um, yeah, there, it's all good suggestions. So. Thank you, Pangalot. We may talk about more stuff in your email. There's one thing that I want to talk off the air about, but uh, so I won't mention that part right now. But uh, uh, thank you for that email. All email comes to conlanger at gmail.com. I read all of it. Uh, we do end up putting a lot of them on the show, <laughs> frankly, because, um, uh, you know, we like to share all the email and you know we uh we don't get a huge overflow of it we kind of like more sometimes uh uh we all you can also send the greetings for the top of the show um there um one note i want to make is i want to clarify something i didn't really get questions about this but i've gotten a couple of uh languages that are well uh, are languages that have no native speakers. I was going to say dead languages, but uh, the one of them was Pali, which I don't know whether it's like a liturgical language it that's is. still used. So it's one of those weird things is like, do you call Latin a dead language or is it like a zombie language? It's a, Pali is a zombie <laughs> just like Latin. Yeah, yeah. That's, 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 but that's the analogy I was thinking of. So, um, but there were, I got one in Gothic too. But so because we, I had said before, we prefer native or near native speakers for natural languages. But obviously, if there's a language that you know a lot about that has no native speakers, 
then you're free to do uh, a translation <laughs> of the greeting into that. So I look forward to our greeting in Hittite. <laughs> do we even know enough about what, how Hittite was pronounced? Someone can make even... a good guess. We, maybe. <laughs> I would be love. Wow. I would be delighted to hear someone attempt it. Uh, like from what I know, like we know that Hittite preserved the Indo-European laryngeal. One of we, them. Just one. One of them. But we still don't know what that was. Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, with that, I'm just going to go. William, do you have any final words of wisdom? Not this week. Uh, Mike? Um, I didn't find any crazy words of wisdom this week, but um, this Inupiatun Eskimo Dictionary, I'm sure, is full of crazy words that can be wisdomful. So uh, find one there, but... Um, Seriously, uh, just look at look at languages that you may have never checked out. Uh, you'll find crazy things and get great ideas. I'm going to look at this Inupiatun language and probably use a lot of direction, um, inspiration from that. So get inspiration from what actually exists, and you'll find interesting things that seem like they're crazy, but they actually do exist. All right. And then with that, I'm going to say happy conlang. Thank you for listening to Conlangery. You can find our archives and show notes at conlangery.com. You can send questions, comments, or topic or featured language suggestions to conlangery at gmail.com. To submit a Conlang or Natlang greeting for the top of the show, see our Contribute page for details. Web space for Conlangery is provided by the Language Creation Society, and our theme music is by Null Device. Things people want to help us with or things people want help with? Uh. To help. To help is to in help there. Whom? To help us? Oh. Uh, episode ideas. Why ideas. is this volume thing coming up and taking focus away? Hmm? George? Well. Bevel. the train. Yes, that's the train. Only happens in your mind. Any <laughs> bizarre. Okay, George, I'm still recording, so you saying in your mind needs to show up in some comments at the end.